Friends, we hinted last week that today could be a very special day, and sure enough, it is a very special day. Absolutely. This is Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as we love to call it, the show that helps you grow. And boy, are you going to grow from today's episode. Uh, We have a very special guest. We have Kay Warren is joining us, um, and so we are so excited uh, to get to talk with her. Um, just a little bit of a background in case you're like, happen to not know who she is. Here's just some, says, here's some tidbits. She's the co-founder of Saddleback Church with Pastor Rick. She is the founder of many ministries from Saddleback, including Hope for Mental Health. Um, she is the author of Sacred Privilege, Choose Joy, and Say Yes to God, and is the co-author of Foundations, which is um, Saddleback's course in church doctrine. And man, she is just a dynamic speaker, and we are so excited to get to have her today. So much wisdom. So much wisdom. We talked with her about um, anxiety. Um, so if that is something that you have been experiencing, um, I, I know I, I know it's been a common thing right now, especially with everything going on. So um, you will get hope, you will get encouragement. You are just going to eat this episode up. Um, so without further ado, let's get into um, our interview with Kay Warren. So we have Kay Warren is with us. We're so thankful that you are here today, Kay. Thanks for being on. Absolutely. I'm excited. Thank you. Great. We really appreciate it. Um, so so we wanted to talk with you today. So we've been going through the series on spiritual antidotes, you know, just looking at just the things that people are experiencing and feeling right now, fear, hopelessness, anxiety, all that kind of stuff. So we've been talking through the series uh, to answer some of those, uh, to look at them from a biblical perspective, what God has to say about some of these things. And one of the things that you have been talking about lately is how you are taking this time to intentionally focus on anxiety. So I, can you talk a little bit about what drew you to want to focus on that right now? <laughs> well, I'm laughing because um, I... I almost feel like I didn't have a choice um, <laughs> because um, this COVID-19 is just an anxiety-producing machine yeah. as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. And um, so I um, I think I've always, I've, I would say I've always known there was the anxiety that I knew about myself and recognized. And, and then there's the anxiety that I didn't recognize about myself and it's what has caused me to focus on this and make try to make some intentional um, decisions and changes is the part that I didn't realize rose to the surface during um, the beginnings of the COVID-19 and um, I think it was probably exacerbated by guilt not guilt (laughs) Freudian slip there maybe, um, by grief because uh, my mother passed away, uh, my 96-year-old mother passed away on yeah. February 28th, which was right before things got um, a little more urgent here in California and before we were told that we needed to um, 
stay at home if we were, you know, in a vulnerable category. And as much as I hate to say it, both Rick and I are in that vulnerable category based on our age. We're both 66. I don't know how we became older Americans, but I'd say it happened overnight. But, um, <laughs> you know, truly, what is this? I was 50. Wait, what is this? Uh, yeah, I was, here? I was 50, and then suddenly I was 66. Um, but, um, and then Rick has, it's just real easy for him to get pneumonia and bronchitis and stuff. And so those two things just put us in this category of where we were vulnerable um, to, to the virus. So grief, um, you know, the loss of my mother, and, and then just right on the heels of that, being in the middle of um, COVID-19 and being isolated in our home, I think that that created um, a, just a perfect milieu for, for the anxiety that I didn't recognize I deal with on a regular basis to kind of rise to the surface. And as it turns out, um, for the Hope for Mental Health community, the monthly um, gathering that we do at Saddleback, um, our first one we were going to do online. Um, we've always done them in person, but the first one that was going to have to be online was was March. And we had chosen the topic back in January on anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we already had our speaker lined up, uh, Dr. J.P. Moreland. He, he's written a book on, um, on finding quiet based on his own anxious experiences. And so it just kind of like all came together. Grief, um, what I was experiencing in life through COVID-19, through preparing for to interview him for our online um, community. And it just kind of came together and God just said, girl, you really need to look at this Mm. because this is something that you are dealing with on a daily basis. And, um, and it caught me really off guard uh, to find that I had some pretty deeply ingrained ways of thinking and feeling under stress Mm. and grief and COVID-19, those two stressors, um, brought this anxiety to a place in which I really had to do something about it. Hey, Kay, Brandon here. That's a, that's a great answer. One of the things you said that I think is really interesting, you said there's a known anxiety and then an unknown anxiety. And I imagine there's a lot of people feeling, maybe they feel like, I don't, I don't have anxiety or I don't struggle with that. And then all of a sudden now they are struggling with anxiety. How did you know to identify the unknown anxiety as anxiety? Uh, probably because uh, Rick and I um, kept emotionally bumping into each other. Mm. Probably the best way I would put it. Well, that um, yeah, yeah uh, it, it was pretty easy to spot. I mean, it was easy to spot the emotional bumping into each other, but I didn't immediately identify it as anxiety. Mm. I just it felt we were irritable um, with each other, and um, I think that some of that was. You know, to go from very active lifestyle, travel, I I do a lot of traveling and speaking, and, um, um, you know, Rick has worked from home for many years because that's easier with his ADD to be able to focus a little better, but I'm used to being out and traveling and speaking, and and suddenly we were in the house all the time together, (laughs) as many people are experiencing right now, and our different personalities and ways of dealing with stress just became apparent. <laughs> Who is this quickly. person? Are you sure you can't <laughs> yeah. find somewhere else to go? <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and then we were just kind of snappy with each other or mm-hmm. irritable, and um, so we we were talking it through, and 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 it became clear that we were both feeling a level of anxiety 
um, but hadn't hadn't recognized it for what it was. I'm not normally um, very germophobic. I'm a rule follower, so I do get anxious when people don't follow the rules, and I was getting anxious that you know, a lot of people weren't following yeah. the rules that, that the mm-hmm. CDC and the government were suggesting that we follow. So, and Rick being a, um, you know, I'm more of an Eeyore, he's more of a Tigger, so he's being <laughs> Mr. Tigger, and he's, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you are just too happy to happy-go-lucky here. There is reason to be upset, and you're not following the rules. <laughs> and, of course, I'm going to be careful about this or that, And but not being a germaphobe, Suddenly, germs were really important to me. So I just became clear that our irritation with each other had to do with the way our different personalities were addressing stress That's good. and even fear. But what, what, what rose up to the surface in me was, oh, my, yeah, there's not just... The, the anxiety that I'm aware of, I've been aware of for a really long time. I take, I try to mitigate against, I, I know I've learned how to manage, but there is this whole other bubbling cauldron of, of anxiety that's under the surface. Mm. I think that's super helpful for people to hear because there may be people listening who are in a similar place where they just find themselves emotionally up against uh, are the other people or persons in their house and haven't quite identified that. So, yeah. so that may, may well be something to explore. Definitely. Um, well, yeah. it's so common. I think, um, I, you know, one of the things that in, in talking to Dr. Moreland and just some of my reading that I've done since then, I mean, I, I would have said depression, a lot of the studies that, um, mental health organizations have done in the last few years have, have indicated the, the rising level of depression mm-hmm. in um, not just the United States, but in the world. And, and they still predict that it will be the number one health problem um, in, in the few more years around the world. But, but anxiety is, is just climbing the charts. Um, and I think that what the world is experiencing now around COVID-19 will probably make that rate go even higher, faster. That anxiety is the, um, is the number one mental health um, um, struggle yeah, that more yeah. people have than anything else. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that ties right in. So your... Um a conversation that you had with Dr. Moreland, which was awesome, by the way, and we will put the link to that in the show notes so that people can watch it. Um, he he talked about the three main causes of of the prevalence of of anxiety uh-huh. today, and as you said, like it's just been kind of on the rise, and people are starting to notice it, like and name it more and more. And so he talks about. Uh, uh, the pace of life, he talks about the breakdown of community, and, and then he talks about the rise of moral mm-hmm. relativism. So Relativism, yeah. yeah. So can we talk for a little bit just about these three things, and what what are some things that you would recommend to help us respond to these causes and others that you may even think of? Well, I think the rise of um, moral relativism, I'm going to start, um, he, he actually put the pace of life as number one and loss of community number two, and then moral relativism relativism as number three. But I'm going to actually start with moral relativism um, first, because I feel like it's the one that we have maybe the least amount of control over. Mm, yeah. um, I, I would say from something I can control to something I can't control, I don't. 
personally have a lot of, um, there's not a lot I can personally do to address the rise of moral relativism in the world. Um, I can, um, I can recognize it. I can see it. It happens on a society level. It's happening on a global level. And what I could do personally is just to make sure that I am very grounded in the Word of God, that I um, am constantly making sure that, that my belief system um, or the things that I'm convinced to be true about God and about life are grounded in the Word, and that um, that I don't let the the timeliness of what happens in our world um, affect in a negative way what I have believed about the timeless truths of Scripture. So I can really just respond on that level within myself and how I live my life, how I talk to the people, you know, if I were still parenting my kids, (coughs) pardon me, I'd have a a responsibility to make sure I was trying to keep um, our family centered in um, timeless truths of God. But I don't have a lot of control in that area. Um, I don't have a lot of control over the fact that um, in general, people are, are missing community, again, other than what I can do um, for myself and making sure that I am staying really connected. We, we talk about small groups all the time, and I, I just can't, I, I've, I've drunk the Kool-Aid on that. I absolutely <laughs> believe in the power of um, being connected with um, a, a small group of people who know you and know you well. That, that goes beyond the just answering questions in a guideline, uh, in a guidebook, yeah. you know, or a Bible study um, that goes along with a, 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 a something that we're playing in our small group, a, a video message that we're playing in our small group. Those questions many times are not designed to go beneath the surface. And um, so that becomes my responsibility to make sure that I am, that I know and I'm known. Yeah. And that's a commitment in that that I have is to let um, a certain amount of people into my soul who will know me, and um, and then allow me to know them. So I'm I'm going to practice that in my daily life, and and then on a corporate level, even at, at church, how we are constantly seeking ways to help people feel connected. It's one of the driving passions, I would say, of, of our church in particular, and should be the driving passion of every church, is while we want people to be grounded in the Word, must have that foundation, that has to be done relationally. Truth needs to be passed on in, in a relational way, not just in a sit still while, um, while the person up front instills these certain things. Mm. But how are we learning those timeless truths of God if it's not in a relational way? Um, anything that we learn in a relational way tends to stick in, in our souls better. So um, that then becomes a role of, of any church is to make sure that we're providing every opportunity we can think of in a thousand different ways for people to connect with each other. And then on the, the pace of life, that is, I think that is, I think that COVID-19, if there is um we're going to, as as it passes, as the urgency passes, as our safety becomes um, less urgent, and it's we're starting to resume some poor way of normal life, and, and all the analysis, the post-crisis analysis that's going to come up, I know that part of what is going to come up is people are going to say, 
you know what? As hard as that was, I enjoyed that slower pace of life. I was just talking to somebody this morning before this call, and this person said, you know, it's going to be hard to go back to the pace of life that I was keeping. I like this slower pace. I like spending more time with my children. It's benefited them. It's benefited me as a parent. I like not rushing from appointment to appointment to thing to thing. Um, And this person said, it's it's just going to be it's going to be hard to go back to that. And I think as more and more of us say that to ourselves, I pray that it changes us because stress will go down. Stress is the number one cause of anxiety. And if stress goes down, I mean, I think we act often like we're just victims to, to the pace of life. Well, what can you do? It's just the Mm -hmm. way it is Mm -hmm. now. Well, no, that isn't really so. We have so much more free agency than we like to think we do because to address it would mean maybe making changes and then that could get messy. Um, you know, if, if I don't want to live at a certain pace of life, then I'm go- I might have to change jobs. I might have to live in a different place. I might have to do, and then we start filling in the what would be the ramifications of that desire to live at a different pace. But I think in the end, that could be an incredible blessing for us if we're willing to do the work of looking inside, recognizing how much better some things are in our lives without the rapidity of, of um, you know, this machine gun fire lifestyle or every morning you wake up and you feel like you've just been shot out of a cannon and, <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, it, if we're it, willing it, to make yeah. some of those changes, it could dramatically lower our stress, which in turn could dramatically lower the anxiety that we feel. Yeah, it'd be amazing if this time, you know, if people's eyes were just kind of open to it, like, hey, I, I like playing board games with my kids or like, yeah. hey, like, yeah. Um, you know, I haven't read a book in a long time and you know what, it's, it's really healthy to do. And it's, it's really helped me like, you know, it's just that I kind of, it just yeah. kind of opens the door to these possibilities that always existed. And I think we, as a culture, we've worn kind of as a badge of honor, the, the pace that we live life, how fast we can go, oh, how sure. productive we can be, how efficient we are. And, you know, we like almost like military uniforms, we pin those to our uniform and to show it off yeah. to people. And we're finding that um, there's not a lot of payout for that right now. Yeah. Not as much as we thought, at least. Uh, Kay, one of the things you were saying when you were talking about the rise of moral relativism, you said, you know, you're not parenting your kids anymore. But if you were, you would feel a responsibility uh, to stem that tide, to, to ground your family in the, uh, the truth of God's word. And just thinking through anxiety and how prevalent it is now, and not just among adults, but also... Uh, for younger, our younger generations, younger people are also experiencing it too. What's some advice that you would have for parents whose kids are struggling with anxiety right now? Well, I think they mirror um, the the adults in their lives in many ways. And um, we're nuts if we don't recognize that the pace of life that we keep 
also um, filters down to the pace of life we have imposed on our kids. And then sometimes parents will take a step back and they, they basically blame the kid and they go, well, but, but she's so interested in and she really likes and, and I'll just pick sports because that's an easy one to pick yeah. on. Um, but it doesn't encompass everything. But like I said, it's, it's an easy one to, to grab onto. And most people will, will relate to this is, yeah, but, but she loves all those sports. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so, yes, we're doing it seven days a week, but, but she loves it. And, and I, um, from the vantage point of probably being a grandmother now, rather than a parent, um, step back and go, who's the adult here? Mm. Um, as parents, we have to model for our kids. They don't always know what's best for themselves. They, they're children. That's good. They don't always know. And they are dependent on us setting examples, setting a pace, setting a, yeah, I get that. But you know what? You're going to have to make a choice. You can only do, um, we're only going to be out three days a week, you know, mm. after school. We're, that's it. That's that's for us to have time to play, to relax, to play board games, to take a walk, to um, actually have a free schedule. That means we can only be out three days a week, and then you can, you can pick your days. I mean, I'm, that's an arbitrary number. Yeah, right. But the point of, of parents saying, um, I get it. I get that you like that. I get that you enjoy that. But we there there are other things in life as well and so parents have to model it in themselves and make sure they're putting the brakes on themselves and and then helping our kids um create the same kind of schedule for themselves and then stress and anxiety goes down for everybody but when it gets down to the part um that's at the modeling or the lifestyle level if you deal at the level of biochemistry um, and maybe a child and children can have mental illnesses. Matthew had a mental illness from the time he was probably six years old, mm -hmm. um, diagnosed at seven, but he could have been diagnosed earlier if I'd understood that children can mm -hmm. have um, a mental illness. Um, and so there's the biological aspect of that. And then it becomes, all right, so what are we going to do about that part? Let's control the environmental stuff, um, slower pace, less stress. And then, um, you know, teaching kids the same way that we would as adults, how do you deal with that, that habitual way of thinking that creates the anxious thoughts, then what we do with the anxious thoughts when we actually have them. Um, and if, if parents can, can gain from um, grabbing their thoughts and creating new neural pathways, so can kids. Um, yeah, I, I it's, think it's really the same for adults and kids. Yeah, I, I think I think too. Uh, just if you are if you set an environment where you are allowing more space for family, a connection, like you were saying, you, you know, maybe only being out of the house a certain number of nights a week, you know, whatever that is, it also creates a a tighter bond. So that if if your kid is experiencing anxiety or depression or fear or whatever it is, they are more likely to be comfortable talking with you about it. And then you, you know, can have this, this engagement, you know, th this deeper relationship because you've created this environment where your kids feel more comfortable and a, a desire to talk more with you about the things that they're feeling. 
Absolutely. And if the parent is less busy and less and less stressed themselves, yeah. they're going to be more present, um, not only just physically, but they're going to be present emotionally to be able to pick up the signs of distress in a child quicker and be able to address it. Um, yeah. when, when the pace of our life is so frantic, we don't, we're not taking the emotional temperature of the people in our house as um, maybe as um, so regularly yeah, as we need good. to. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they've got a raging fever, you know, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. euphemistically, <laughs> sure. um, because we haven't been, we haven't been paying attention. Um, we don't mean to, you know, we don't mean to emotionally neglect. Yeah. We don't mean to, we don't even, we don't even, ter- we don't even interpret our behavior as anything other than loving and kind and trying to maximize maybe our our children's um, gifts and talents and interests and abilities and our own interests and abilities where we're, we think we're doing the loving thing by doing that right and um, so the motivation isn't isn't bad you know it's not evil it's just not recognizing um, that that kind of a pace does not allow for deep connection, does not allow for knowing and being known. And, you know, one thing I wanted to, it's kind of stepping back a little bit into what, but when we were talking about, um, you know, reevaluating our lives uh, through the lens of COVID-19 and mm-hmm. what, we've, what we're learning or what we might learn from it, to, to change the pace of life, I said we might have to um, give up some activities or we might need to change, um, you know, jobs or mm-hmm. change where we live. This is something, the thing I'm about to say right now is really hard for us, uh, I think particularly as Americans, to accept. But I don't know that we're always aware how much the drive for affluence or money Mm-hmm. becomes becomes the thing that pushes us. It's not even just self-actualization, you know, oh, I love to do this, so I want to do this. We're willing to live with, um, we're willing to live a super stressful life so that we have money to have some of the things that we want or to have a lifestyle that we think is all important. In other words, rather than, it, be, it becomes a choice of, a stark choice when we actually get down to it is, and I'm not talking about survival level, I'm not talking about um, putting food in our mouths, and, and this, is, this is actually more, these words are maybe more directed to um, people who are, um, middle class and upper middle class and even more than that who are not trying to just they're not pushing themselves to survive Um, they're pushing themselves because somewhere in our hearts is this belief that having more will make me happier Mm. Mm. and not being willing to let go of that to have some of the greater gifts of life, which are relationship and time together and a different pace. That's well said. For the greater gifts of life, I like that. Yeah, that, that, I, 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 that's, that's so well said. And I imagine some of this, probably most of it is happening just on the subconscious level. 
Um, oh, sure. Like you were saying, I don't think people are actively planning these things out. Or like you said, people, we're judging our own actions through a very positive lens. We're always going to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Um, one of the things that you said that really caught, caught, caught my eye that I've been thinking about is these distorted thinking patterns, um, and especially talking about what's going on underneath the surface or on the subconscious level. Um, you talked about all or nothing thinking, overgeneralizing, or discounting the positive. There's a, a quite a few of them. What can we do to move, maybe to recognize these patterns of thinking in ourselves, but what can we do to move past them? And not just move past them, but move past them and towards Jesus. Well, I, I thoroughly recommend Dr. Moreland's book, Finding Quiet. Um, and I think what I, why I, it why it has resonated so strongly with me is because he's not writing um, from the ivory tower of being uh, a, a seminary professor. He's, he's not writing in theory. This is a man who, by his own admission, has had two complete mental breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent nine months, one of those times, he says, basically, you know, curled in a fetal position on his couch, um, unable to do daily life because the levels of anxiety were so profound. And um, and so when somebody has experienced that much suffering and that much pain and then comes around and says, my life is different, I, I, I have learned how to manage um, that crippling anxiety and crippling disability, um, I, I'm going to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. And so when he writes in his book, Finding Quiet, um, the four-step process that he has used, well, first of all, he would say he did see um, a psychiatrist, does see a psychiatrist. He is on medication, um, but he also is really um, quick to say that many people don't get all the relief that they really need from medication alone, and he didn't. And so then through that, he um, really began to apply this four-step process of changing his thoughts because anxiety um, is – is largely um, it's it's a habitual way of thinking, and we don't realize that we've created these neural grooves in our brain by thinking the same thing over and over. So an anxious thought, the more we think about it, the more we rehearse it, the more we go over it, then it becomes so um, deeply engraved in in our brain that it becomes a habit, and now we don't even have to think about it. We just encounter a situation and. And before we know it, an anxious thought has risen, um, and and then we're and then then our body starts to feel the results of that, and you know we we feel maybe irritable or we feel, um, you know, our heart's beating a little faster, or we're not breathing as deeply as as we need to, and before we know it, we're not paying attention to what it is we're the work we were doing or the um, the basic chore that we were doing, whatever we're 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 in our heads thinking that anxious thought over and over and all the ramifications of it before we even knew it. And so Dr. Moreland talks about how to learn how to grab those thoughts and identify those distorted distorted patterns of thinking. And he lists about 10 of them. And as I read through, you know, the like all or nothing thinking, discounting the positive in a situation, jumping to a conclusion or assume that you know what somebody else is thinking and reading their body language or Mm. magnifying of, you know, what if, if this, 
oh my goodness, this is going to lead to disaster. Um, he talks about emotional reasoning that just because you feel it, it must be true. Or um, labeling yourself as, you know, oh, I'm such a loser, the self-talk, or blaming yourself for things. So all those are distorted ways of thinking. And as I began to examine those, and I was making check marks by <laughs> several, let's just say, um, <laughs> And that's what caught me by surprise. I knew that I get anxious, like when Matthew's illness, uh, and he lived on that edge of, of suicide for so many years, I was very aware. I was hyper vigilant of what was going on in, in his life. And the nights that I spent unable to sleep because I didn't know if he was alive or, mm. or dead, or if what if this was the day that he decided to take his life. And wow. so the nights that I stayed up, just my body um, shaking, my heart pounding, tears, um, I mean, it was years, years of that. So I built a lot of negative, uh, I mean, a very deep neural pathways that I'm having to relearn. That was anxiety I knew. Yeah. What I, the parts that I didn't realize were the constant flow of negative self-talk in my brain um, over much smaller circumstances. That was life and death. That was real. It was. It wasn't a made-up thought. It wasn't even an imaginary. It was no. This was. This was real. But those that became a pattern of responding to life through that negative lens or worried lens. And so to challenge, Dr. Moreland talks about first of all recognizing, oh, that is an anxious thought right there, and you know what? I don't have to pay attention to it because it's really just an anxious thought. And then secondly, he talks about um, labeling it. Oh, there I go again, catastrophizing and kind of laughing at yourself, um, <laughs> you know, catching, yeah. first of all, feeling it and recognizing it's a, an anxious thought. Secondly, um, kind of um, almost laughing at it or dismissing it or just gently, you know, kind of not poking yourself with with recrimination, but just kind of that, whoop, <laughs> there I go again. Uh, I'm going, I'm the Titanic, the ship's going down, um, you know, and it's really just not anywhere near that. And then third, he talks about learning how to reprogram your mind, and that's through refocusing and, and getting in the flow so that of, of something else that you, it could be anything, but it takes your mind away from that repetitive, anxious thought that that is um, taking you to that, oh, I'm catastrophizing or I'm I'm um, I'm really caught in the because I believe it. Therefore, it must be true or there's nothing good in life. Oh, everything's bad. Everything's terrible. And so I think the what was so hopeful to me and why I'm spending time working on this in myself is because he talks about how he's changed. Yeah. That he's mm -hmm. not the same, that he lives with what he calls a sense of shalom, mm -hmm. a sense of peace and joy. Well, goodness, who doesn't want that? Yeah, right. It's possible. Who doesn't? <laughs> right. Who doesn't want <laughs> to live their life with a sense of shalom, of God's shalom, of, of well-being, that all is well in my soul, all is well, not because everything around me is good, but but internally I'm not consumed with negative, anxious thoughts. Mm. Um, 
and 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 him saying that over time and this is really key over time we are in such a hurry when we even if we recognize oh that needs to change about me or i want to do that differently we want it now we've we've said i want to change and therefore we expect oh aren't i changed i said i wanted to change i <laughs> yeah. said i wanted to not be this way wait you mean i'm still acting that way i'm still thinking that way instead of the patience of cooperating with god's spirit to slowly affect change deep within us changing our neural pathways changing yeah, the, the way that part we is think so important yes being yeah. patient but patient because we have hope yeah that over time with repetition with following through every day of creating new habits that we truly can be different and i accepted that challenge it's like talk to me in six months let's do this again <laughs> in six months and you can ask me how well i followed through with my desire to be different with my desire to have shalom and how how willing I was to actually be patient, practice it the way I would practice piano scales, yeah, yeah. practice new habits, and if indeed I am any different. That's so good. It, it takes perseverance. It takes it, it takes that practice. It takes that repetitiveness, and and sometimes it can be so easy to just get beat down by feeling like ah oh, these thoughts keep coming up or. Uh, I uh, I had a really bad day. Obviously, I'm not doing well. But no, it's that encouragement to just that's okay. Just get back up. You know, just you know, I just keep going, keep trying, keep thinking about it, keep working on it. Like that's, it's so important uh, for this for any kind of spiritual practice that you want to engage right, in. It's right. so important if you want the ultimate goal to be a character change or to be to be a part of who you are. It requires that that time and that effort. It's so that's so important. Um, well, we definitely want to. I, yeah, I, I just can't underplay the value of hope. Yes. Um, because I know you've already talked about hope in another another podcast, but just if you believe that things can be different, then you're going to put in the work um, and be patient with yourself. Yeah. If yep. if you have decided or concluded, I can never change. This can never be any different. Um, I'll never, I'll always be stuck in this particular place. Then it's, um, that it's at that place. We just give up and resign ourselves to living with anxiety, living with, um, um, the pace of life. If, if we conclude that change is not possible, then, um, it's really hard to keep going on. But if there really can be that belief and, and it's taking sometimes the story of other people, this guy changed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This guy tells me that he was in a heap on the floor and that today he knows how to manage that and he's living with shalom. Man, I want that. Mm. So it's, it is that hope that, that we can be different, that will keep us trying and trying and practicing and trying and practicing. Yeah, it's almost like as if the, our, the hope is the, the fuel in the tank that keeps us moving towards the shalom yeah. of God, moving towards the peace of God. Yeah, that's good. I like that. So we definitely want to put in the show notes the link to Dr. Moreland's book, Finding Quiet. Um, I also want to add in the link to this Mennonite song that you've talked about. I I don't want to get into it now because I because we're running 
short on time, and I do want to get to our doable section. But check out this song. Um, so Kay has talked about it um, in a few different places. Um, I think it was Rick that showed it to us in a, a staff meeting a couple of weeks ago. And it's just this beautiful picture of finding rest and peace and hope and beauty in God. Um, it's just this beautiful acapella song. Um, so we'll put a link to that video in the notes for you to check out too. Um, but I just wanted to... Uh, to tie a nice little bow on our conversation, but in just asking, what are some doable steps that people can start taking now to counter attack anxiety? Like, of course, there's the understanding that it's not just going to go away overnight, but what are some things that people can start doing with the hope that knowing that if they if they just keep walking, keep going, you know, it might take it might take a little bit of time, it might take a lot of bit of time, but but uh, but change and hope is possible, you know, a God is with you. So what are some steps that people can start to take? Well, because we are whole, um, we are whole beings. We need to approach it um, from every aspect, um, spiritually, physically, emotionally. And relationally. So um, I think that when I realize that it's harder maybe right now to get into your GP or, um, you know, your doctor, but I, I would, I would start with, with the body and, and, and have some tests and talk to a doctor and say, is there, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing a, a higher level of anxiety than it feels right. And, and is there something that might be off, you know, mm-hmm. in, in my body and might I, you know, there might be a genetic predisposition and some people might benefit from medication. And so definitely um, with the body, check out, um, you know, medically um, if there, if there is something going on. Um, and then, but also the Bible talks about presenting our bodies to God. So present your body, um, present your brain, um, present your body, present every part of yourself to God and say, here, here I, I'm made in your image and here is my body and this is where I'm experiencing the results of anxiety um, and and I'm presenting my body to you and I'm asking God that, that you help me work with my brain. Holy Spirit, help me work with my brain where those thoughts are coming from. And there may be trauma, there may be some things in, in the past, some life experiences that have been very wounding and have, that have caused some damage and there's there might be some um, that you would benefit from some counseling and some therapy to, to help you, have somebody help you process through um, some of the painful life experiences that have kind of trained your brain into thinking um, in some negative ways. And then just um, on that spiritual side of, of being willing to come and ask God to to look into your heart, into, you know, where we talk about the seat of our emotions and our thoughts and say, God, I, I really would like to be different. I would like to experience your shalom. I would like to experience that sense of well-being instead of the um, hyper vigilant or the, um, you know, the ways that I, that I, that my personality has these sharp edges that I never recognized were there because of my anxiety or my fear and um, my distorted thinking. So um, take the time to do some reading, take the time to come into God's presence and ask him to reveal those things to you. And, and then ask for that awareness of God, help me in, in a moment, in a, in a moment interaction with, with somebody else, or I'm sitting quietly and I'm, I realize, wow, that was, that was a, that was not a really particularly healthy thought. 
And um, so I don't want to linger on that one. So, um, God, I I choose to instead um, focus on what your word says is true or what your word says about me or how you value me or how you want to change me. And rather than sit here and even think too long about that, because that can often lead us back to the anxious thought, um, help me redirect my thoughts. You've said that you would transform my mind if I would be willing to to let you transform it. So mm. help me to find something else to do in this moment that will take me away from that um, anxious thought, that repetitive thought that I'm trying to, um, to change because I, I can see how it's destructive. And um, so, um, and, and trust that God will do that. And just begin to practice that in simple ways um, there's a physics, there's a physical approach, there's, and then relational. It's always good to tell somebody else that, uh, like I've made it very public. I've, I've basically issued myself a challenge, you know, which is call me in six months yeah. <laughs> um, and, and ask me, you know, but, but sometimes it's good to bring somebody else in to just say, Hey, I'm recognizing this about myself. Um, will you check in with me in a month yeah. and, and just ask me how, you know, that's how it. that's going? Uh, because I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to know that in a month you're going to come back and ask me and, and that will help me stay focused on these changes that I want to make. Yeah. It sounds like it's such a self thing. Like it's an individual thing, but really when you bring other people into it with you, right. it not only right. makes it a little easier for right. you because you are burden sharing, right. but mm. it's also exactly. has that accountability piece. So, so exactly. Important. Well, and and when you're, it also gives you encouragement. Yeah. You know, we we just we need encouragement to stay the course or to, um, you know, see our master of that. Having other people. Um, you know, we talk about hold accountable and that sounds, I don't know, that, that just sounds kind of mean and (laughs) kind of, you know, like you've got a policeman in your life, but, (laughs) but this is more of the, no, I'm trying to change. You are too. Let's encourage each other. That's good. Um, it's helpful. That's, that's so good. Kay, we just want to really thank you for your time. This was, this was awesome. And I'm sure people are going to just eat this up. So we're just so thankful. And, uh, as you said, we will check back in with you in six months. (laughs) Let's <laughs> put it on the calendar. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. All right. Thank you so much, Kay. Yeah, Bye-bye. You guys, I hope that was so beneficial and helpful for you. Kay is such a wise woman and a gift to the church. Jason, do you have any more ideas? Any more thoughts? Oh, man. Uh, there's just a lot that I wanted to go back and listen to Me and too. process. Me too. And please make sure to check out um, all of the good stuff we put in the show notes, too. All the yes. links to the books that were talked about, to the Mennonite song that we mentioned, um, and we have links to also the Mental Health in the Church website um, and to Kay's website, and you can find a ton of great mm-hmm. resources, videos, links, all sorts of stuff there, too. Absolutely. That's what I got. That's all you got? I, I, I feel the exact same way. So much to go back in and, and learn from and sit with and think about. Um, great episode, a great woman. Yeah. This is one, this one was good. This one was really good. That's great stuff. All right, friends. Well, we will see you again next Tuesday. I think next Tuesday is going to be our wrap up mm-hmm. on this series on spiritual antidotes. So you definitely won't want to miss it. We will see you again next Tuesday. Ah! 
if you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.